I miss seeing smiling faces. I miss hugging people. That is so me. I mean, I so want to hug people when they come to even pick up the takeaways, and then I do this whole namaste thing from a far off distance. But that's so not me, and I just really want our regular lives back. Today on Dirty Linen, we are talking to Sat Makad. She owns with her husband Pratt three in three idiots restaurant in Richmond. I don't, I don't like saying idiots and sat in the same sentence because you're so definitely not an idiot sat. I love your restaurant and welcome to Dirty Linen. Thank you. Thank you. It's just that we wanted to come up with something funny and that's my nature. So I thought idiot would be just, it would just be the best thing, the way I could introduce myself to the world or ourselves <laughs> to the world. Um, so you and Pratt have been in Australia about 16 years. You moved from India. Tell us how you came to open your restaurant in Richmond. Uh, we actually just came here as students and um, with uh, nothing in our mind, just really wanting to learn cookery and get a different exposure altogether. And we really wanted to excel in what we do because we were not sure whether we would stay back or we would go back home. Um, so uh, it all just started as a small thing of us coming here to learn food. And we just loved the city and we stayed back. Mm. Um, and then we worked at a lot of places and then we landed up opening our own. And it was actually Pratt's idea. So it's all his fault. It is all his fault. <laughs> That's why I say he's the biggest idiot. So when you guys came to Australia and studied cookery and then, you know, worked in the industry, that wasn't in Indian cuisine, was it? No, no, no. We've actually not had an Indian cook. I mean, we are Indians, but um, we've never really worked in an Indian kitchen or we have had a lot of exposure in Indian cooking. So what we really have is just home style cooking um, that we try and excel in and basically mum's recipes. Because in our own family, we have four different cultures because both our set of parents have had love marriages. So we could get a lot of it from our own mothers because they had to learn their um, our father's cuisine and they also grew up eating their own cuisines. So we really had four different uh, cuisines in our own family straight up. Tell me more about that, Sat. Like, what do you mean? Tell us Tell us why having a love marriage means that you would have different cuisines and different cultures in the same family. So, I mean, I mean, um, my dad's a Sikh and my mom's a Hindu. So she's actually a Goan um, Brahmin, which means she's actually grown, but she's grown up in Bombay. So she's actually grown up as a Maharashtrian girl. Uh, and my dad is a Sikh, but he's grown up in Bombay as well. So actually I shouldn't be saying in Bombay, it's Mumbai and now, um, but um they just have a very different um, way of life, way of eating food, the way the things they eat, um, the, th- the way they pray, the way they do things. It's very different. But when they got married, it was um, uh, it was them adjusting. And when we were growing up, we were exposed to both the religions, both the cultures, both the way, both both types of food. So that's how I grew up. And in similar fashion, Pratt's parents, uh, once a Sindhi, so mom's Sindhi and dad's actually fishermen by caste. So we already had those set of um, um, approaches as well. So we thought, you know, there was a fair bit of information in the family itself to start the whole 
journey and then of course we were blessed by having amazing neighbors back home um because we live in apartments back in mumbai so there always been a multicultural approach in 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 our apartments so a neighboring auntie was actually from bangalore that is where we really learned our south indian bases from so she helped us to learn some chettinad she taught us a couple of different um south indian curries so we have a customer who taught us a little bit of that so we really really are just going by what we are learning as we go so when we had the parents approach uh, prats mum um taught us the sindhi part of the food where we got a lot of brunch ideas we got our um, goat curry um sindhi mutton is what we call that on the menu so my mom taught us vada pav because um, she really does that well like like the misal pav which is like uh, curried lentils eaten with pav so we were really just learning things as we go from them mm and I think it's so interesting, you know, you talk about this food from these different cultures and that it's a lot of home style cooking, but then you really do put a different spin on it in the restaurant. I mean, can you talk about some of some of um your most famous dishes and and the interesting presentations that you do? I think the presentation actually really comes down from Pratt because he's always loved the whole uh, idea of having a chutney form like a green chutney converted into form because back home we all get eat green chutneys almost every day as, as a part of our lunch and dinners um but if you just convert it into a form it's an experience it's just um, takes it to the next level um so it really just um enhances the dish because uh, when you convert the chutney into a foam it um, melts in your mouth so um so when you have those um mixtures of flavors and textures it takes it to the next level and i must uh, give the whole credit to prad because he really puts a, a lot of his um, heart soul and his brain uh, <laughs> into it and tell us about your chicken tikka because i know a lot of people come to the restaurant for that Uh, chicken tikka was something which was um, very close to our hearts and um, especially back home in mumbai we used to do a lot of um, uh, so when you eat it back home it is actually cooked in a tandoor which has uh, charcoal in it and then prat used to do that at home um, during um Uh, our holiday time so we used to have a small barbecue that we used to actually put charcoals on and we used to um do the tikkas at home and then he's like you know what we don't get those sort of tikkas over here so let's really smoke the tikkas up and let's really just take it to the next level so that's how the whole smoking process of the tikka started because um just cooking a tikka in a tandoor is just not enough you need to give it that in depth earthy flavor of the charcoal which is why uh, which is what makes the tikka so special but so explain what happens in the restaurant when you order it so when you really order one so we've already smoked the chicken as a part of the um cooking process but uh, when it actually goes to the customer it is very important for you to smell the smoke of the tandoor or smell the smoke of the uh tikkas in and we want the smoke to enhance the flavor so what it really comes is under a cloth smoked with um, 
um, smoked with this charcoal. So when you really open the clutch as the customer, the first thing that hits you is the smoke, which really takes you back home because that's the most important part of enjoying the tikas. Well, yeah, it's a really great experience to be sitting in the restaurant and you see these smoke-filled domes walking through the restaurant and put put down on the table. Everyone says, ooh, ah, ooh, ah. Ooh, and, then the, uh, and we actually enjoy the expressions because that's <laughs> not what people actually expect in the restaurant because they normally just expect it either on a sizzling platter or on a plate and they don't expect smoke out of it. So it's actually nice when people say, ooh, what is this? I don't think I ordered that. And I was like, no, you did. What is it? I was like, it's chicken tikka. Oh, yeah, it's uh, yeah, is that how you serve it? So we get a lot of different uh, reactions and it is nice to see um, that as the first reaction itself. Yeah, it's a real experience. And I suppose, you know, at the moment it's really what, what we're missing, you know, we're, you are doing food as takeaway, but, of course, everybody's missing those in-restaurant experiences. Um, and we are, we are missing these beautiful smiling faces as well. Yeah, because I know that, you know, when I've sat in the restaurant, you you really know your customers, you greet a lot of people with a hug. Of course, it's not really not really that possible in COVID times, but it's a, it's a real there's a real warmth to the experience that you want to deliver, isn't there? True, true. I really miss the hugs. I really miss them. Mm. I really miss seeing everybody actually. Yeah. Well, tell me what it's like for you, you know, in these times, like how is Three Idiots navigating the pandemic? Um, It has been hard, but we've been blessed by an amazing community. Richmond has been really kind to us. So we've, um, um, it has um, um, been slow. Uh, It is hard to survive. Um, um, But um, it's just the idea is to make sure that we keep going. Uh, we've had a lot of our families help in again, which they've always been a part of. Um, but um, yeah, it's just uh, been hard. But I think it's just not us. It's everyone around us. Yeah, so it's just um, really hard. And I also think that what we do, uh, we really can't justify it in a takeaway container. Um, so yeah, it's been a little challenging. Mm. I mean, you mentioned that you've had all this help from family, which, you know, is, I'm sure is so, well, it's just necessary, right? But but tell me uh, what it's been like. You know, staffing is something that everybody is talking about anyway in good times in hospitality, but in these difficult times, I mean, tell me how you've, have you been navigating that? I think with us, I would say that the family has been the biggest support. My sister has helped us in the kitchen. She also works on the floor. My brother-in-law has actually taken over the job of a, a, a manager, come answering the calls, making sure that I have everything in place. I have another cousin who helps me out for two days. Um, I've got Pratt's cousin who helps me out for two days. So we're really, really just um, surviving on all these kind, generous family members who come and help us for whenever they can um, because everybody does have other jobs as well. So we don't expect them to give up their jobs and help us, but whatever they can, we really appreciate. Mm. So what about finding staff? I mean, are you always advertising? Like what's happening? 
we've advertised we've also had uh, we've also put it on the um on the door saying like we are looking for staff uh, we've had a, we've also used the word of mouth so we've also contacted our ex staff members um but but right now it's just really hard trying to find people to work so it is um it is getting difficult and with no influx of new students it is getting difficult Did you rely on students, international students, to work in the restaurant? We did. We did. We did. Uh, because, uh, uh, especially with front of the house, because the kitchen, we still can employ people for 38 hours, like a full-time contract. But uh, with the front, because uh, um, we've always had people who wanted 20 hours of work and it worked for them, it suited them, and it suited our kind of business. So um, we've always relied on students, especially for the front. Yes, so that influx and uh, not having the new students coming in has definitely affected the um, staff inflow. Did you have people that went back to India, you know, students that used to work for you? Absolutely. We had a, we had a girl who used to work with us. Uh, she did only a couple of shifts and um, she was actually wanting to apply for her residency. But I think she had to go back because her dad was detected with... Uh, and uh, an illness and um um and she couldn't stay back and of course before that her husband was stuck in india because they'd already lived away from each other for almost a year because of covid her husband was not allowed to travel here and she was like hoping that he would be able to get here but then her the dad's illness actually turned out in a way in which she was like you know my husband's not here my dad's not well let me just go back so even the staff we had and not that they wanted to leave us but it's just the situations that kept arising in which you know we had to let go our staff um so yes of course it has affected that aspect as well mm it's so you know and, and then if someone leaves australia at the moment it's basically impossible if you're not a pr if you yeah, if you're not a, a citizen to come back so people really have to make these very difficult decisions that I guess, yeah. True, and sometimes when you think of your life, but it's more important to be able to see your family as well. So it's something which is an emotionally challenging decision that the person has to make, which is the hardest, I suppose, because you have family on one side and you have your life on one side. Um, but I always would go for family because that's me as well. So I kind of really understand where she's coming from as well. Uh, but um, it is hard. It is hard. COVID's made it harder. Mm. It is, you know, India is not that far away. It's like people are really used to building their lives around this idea that you hop on a plane, you go visit, you come back. It's um, that you can really have a foot in each country. But COVID's made that really super challenging. Absolutely. I was just talking to one of our first boys that we had employed. Um, he's now actually working for um, the AGL Electricity Company. Uh, and he actually just called us up yesterday saying that he's going back to India for good um, in November. And I asked him why. I was like, you have a job. He's like, I'm not able to get a job in construction industry, this, which is where his actual job uh, should be. Or, um, But he's like, you know, I'm just, you know, it's the lockdown's been on. I'm not able to do anything. I'm not able to find a job. Um, the PR process has been uh, a little difficult for him. So he's like, you know, any which ways in May, if I can't do anything, I might have to go back. I might as well go back in November and probably December, I start something of my own or try to find a job for myself back home. 
um so at least i'm not wasting time so people are taking such drastic decisions yeah and i mean what do you hear about india at the moment i mean obviously we it was you know india was in a terrible situation earlier in the year it was it was it was disaster i mean um we had um families um close family members who uh did have covid and uh, it was hard and um um uh, my prats um uncle was actually in hospital for almost 25 days on ventilator and um it was hard it was hard because we could see how devastated the family was and um his son was in canada i mean it was really bad the emotional side the stress um and the whole thing that you know whether he would really come out of it or not he is fine today but just that if you remember that one month it was really bad it was horrible it was uh, it was pathetic but of course seeing what the plight of india was then um it was really bad like uh, with so many people um people were dying on streets people were having um funerals uh, left right and center um not in the right way they were just um the families couldn't see the uh family uh, the 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 uh, person who passed away it was it was it was hard it was um it was hard and what are things like there now um right now they seem to be uh, expecting the third wave um um so uh the the cases have actually increased as what i spoke to mom yesterday uh mom and dad were, again i have asked them mom and dad are almost in their 65s um i mean for australians we still call them young but back home they think oh my god we are quite old so um so for mom and dad it's very important to stay indoors um and um make sure that they take care of themselves because um um number one my sister and i we are both here and we won't be able to fly there or do anything for them un- unless we really um have a i mean we can't just fly there today and just i mean if we decide today we need to go and see mom and dad because they are not well we can't just take a flight today and get there tomorrow so there are a lot of other um, um other um, due diligence that would need to be done now um so there are a lot of other factors involved as well uh so we always make sure that at least um, all these six set of parents when i say that i mean my brother in laws um my our parents and prats parents so you know we just want them to be safe and of course they really, i mean we want everyone to be safe but in this immediate family situation none of us can travel so mom and uh, they're all in their 60s and what's the access to vaccines like uh back home i think all six of them have been vaccinated we um and um i must uh, say that the speed at which india is going around vaccinating people is really commendable um they so in our apartments itself they had a doctor who came in with a nurse to make sure everybody had a jab so they are actually appointing doctors according to the apartments or according to the societies or according to so for example the first 10 apartments or the first 10 so uh, societies will be attended by this doctor and this nurse and they will just go around making sure everybody has a jab so they're actually doing it that way and um people who can afford it um 
um, are even like, um, so a little bit of a middle class or an upper middle class can also afford doctors who can, and they're happy to pay instead of going and waiting in a line or a queue and they don't want to be, um, so they don't know where um, they're going to be standing in the queue next to somebody who has COVID. So they're actually doing it at home and the doctors actually go home to, or the nurses go home to jab the uh, people. Uh, of course, there's a little bit of a fee there, which would be around uh, uh, $7. Uh, but that's for the facility of the doctor coming home and giving you the jab. So there are facilities of this kind as well. And uh, uh, I mean, I was just speaking to Pratt's dad uh, two nights ago and um, uh, he mentioned that uh, uh, they have a farmhouse, which is almost three hours away from Mumbai. And um, um, over there itself, it's such a small, um, I don't think I should use the word town. It's actually a village. Um, and uh, people over there also have been vaccinated. So he was actually quite proud of saying that because he loves that place. He loves that community. Um, so he was actually happy that that community uh, was also um, vaccinated. So, Sat, I want to ask you about, you know, you're in Bridge Road and uh, a couple of weekends ago there was a protest that went up and down the street. I know it disrupted things for a lot of businesses there. Can you talk about what that was like for you? We, uh, Pratt was physically there on the premises when it actually happened because we had a scheduled uh, um, uh, inspector to come in and check the premises, the food inspector, which of course didn't go ahead because of the uh, because of the whole uh, thing he cancelled and then he rescheduled, which was the best thing to do, I suppose. I'm not um, saying anything that was wrong, but I just think that it was a little bit uncalled for. Um, because I, yeah, I think you could definitely say that I, because it's, I mean, um, I, I just really think it's, I mean, we don't really just get yourself vaccinated, just go on with your life. It's like, I say this to everybody. I said, when I, uh, when I'm having alcohol, we really don't know what's in it. When we are smoking, we really don't know what's in it. Like there could be ingredients written on everything, but you really don't know how is it going to react in your body. When we were kids, we were given smallpox vaccinations. We were given tetanus vaccinations. Like, you know, you, you, you drink a cough syrup, you drink when you're not well, you have um, a Panadol. So you really don't know what's really in it. But why are we creating a scene about um, this vaccination to this extent? I'm not quite sure. Mm. Well, I mean, tell us about your particular situation because, I mean, we hear about people with underlying health conditions and sometimes it can seem quite abstract. But what's your situation? My situation similar. I, uh, I've just had two infusions in the month of June. And uh, the doctors have suggested that I should wait until January. But um, last week, I've actually spoken to uh, my GP. He's actually going to do a couple of blood tests on me and see if I can get the vaccination any earlier. But if I do take it, it's actually going to be of no use because I actually have no immune system left right now because of the infusion. So it's going to be harder for the doctors to figure out if the vaccination has done any good to me. The possibility is it might actually harm me in bringing my uh, pemphigus vulgaris uh, back or it would just uh, do nothing. So I would actually have to just keep getting booster doses, which again, we will not be able to track down the line. 
how it goes. Just explain what your condition is because that's they're long words and most people won't know them. So I have something called pemphigus vulgaris. Uh, it's a skin-related autoimmune disease. Um, and it's basically when uh, you get boils uh, on your skin, um, in, in your nose, in your mouth, in your esophagus, um, and anywhere in the body can be absolutely anywhere and uh it's quite uh quite an interesting one because every morning you get up and you know oh my god something's popped up over here so um and it's just hard to control so i've been on uh, immunosuppressants steroids and uh, um and um uh, uh and um what's that medicine called Oh my God, I've had a brain freeze now. <laughs> anyway, a lot of medication. A lot of medications for almost 18 months now. And um, uh, so I was getting better last year, December, Jan. But um, it just, uh, I just had a flare up. Um, and the doctor said it's the stress. So it actually, I think it's the stress during uh, the Valentine's time when we went into a sudden lockdown. I think that that was a little bit of a stressful moment for us because we were all prepared for Valentine's and then we all of a sudden went into a lockdown. And I actually haven't recovered out of it yet. So I uh, that's when the medication had gone up drastically. Um, and I'm still on the, I'm still reducing it by a gram uh, every 15 days, but I haven't reached uh, to the required one. So um, that was one of the reasons why I had to get an infusion because the medicines to an extent were not really working on me. I guess, you know, the the reason I want to sort of draw all these things together, Sat, is because, you know, you're in a situation where there's no staff, so you can't just take a week off to, you know, look after yourself, you know, reduce the stress of running a restaurant you really need the people around you to be vaccinated to reduce the risk to yourself while you're in this position where you may not be able to be vaccinated. And if you can, they're just not sure because of the state of your immune system, how much protection you'll have. And I just, you're not, you're in a position where you have to deal with the public when you're running a restaurant. True, true. And it's going to get harder because um, people like me, they, we would be handful, but we would love to get vaccinated tomorrow but we are not able to for medical purposes but there is a group of people which can get vaccinated tomorrow but they don't want to and that is going to harm us more because i mean in normal circumstances people like you pratt everybody else are going to get vaccinated are already vaccinated are getting their second vaccination soon but in our case we would be the most vulnerable in this situation because we would we are the ones who are not protected in that fashion. Um, so it's just um, about understanding that you are by you by, by a person not getting vaccinated, you're not putting your life, only your life in risk. You're putting somebody else's life in risk as well. And I think sometimes when people hear about, you know, underlying health conditions, they don't think it could be someone who's standing right next to them, who's, you know, on the tram, who's looking after them in a restaurant. I look fine, but I just can't get one. So I'm absolutely walking around talking to people, but I just unfortunately cannot have it yet. I just have to wait for a green signal from the doctors because I really don't want to go back to 
where it where i was with pemphigus vulgaris because it's not really a pleasant place to be because then i can't even step out of the house so then that means that the business suffers that means that i have nobody to work that means in spite of being open we will have to probably continue doing takeaways because i physically can't be there yeah wow it has a lot of flow on effects yeah yes it's just a chain so when you see people <laughs> walking past your restaurant protesting for quote unquote freedom I I actually quite laugh over it. Well, I actually laugh over it because I don't understand that why would people do this? Why but I I'm just not sure why would uh, anybody I mean why would anyone why would anybody want to put anyone's life at risk or for the matter of fact your own life at risk? Yeah. It's true. It's very perplexing. I think the fact that you can laugh at it says a lot about your incredible character because I find it incredibly frustrating to think about. It is frustrating, but you know sometimes it's just hard to talk to such people. We have a notice written at the door saying that I mean we don't let anybody come in the premises. So the way we have um handled the whole covid thing is we actually have a barricade at the door so nobody really steps into the restaurant. That is personally just actually for my safety because i really don't want anybody to walk into the restaurant and number one a lot of drivers don't check in so we don't really know where they have been so we really don't want anybody so we keep the door closed we have a barricade outside we have kept put up a sign it saying that please wait knock at the door somebody will attend you so we don't it's just hard because sometimes you really don't know who really has had one who really is hasn't had one who really doesn't have intentions to get one so it's just more really a precaution that i want to do for myself but i won't be able to do that once we open up because once we open up we open up and i would like to open up i'm not saying i won't i don't want to open up yeah of course everybody wants to get their business back and back up and going exactly because none of the expenses uh, i mean um the expenses stay the same um i mean rent reduction really doesn't help but government is definitely trying to help keep the businesses afloat but um that's not what a business is for business is for making sure it's all smooth up and running making sure that the wheels are running in the, without any hurdles mm. um sat let's finish with a nice story can you tell me about the chocolate brownie tell me the story behind that so chocolate brownie something which is very close to me on a personal level because that is something that um um i used to actually save money for um this is going back when i was in class 11 class 12 back home in mumbai and there used to be a cafe next to the college and um it used to be um for about 150 rupees which is probably uh the 10 dollars something no 30 dollars 30 dollars no 50 rupees is once $3 $3 is what we used to pay for it and uh, uh, that is a, that used to be a lot of money back then so now this is going back almost 18 years ago and whoever used to buy it used to be a star in the group so i used to love making sure i can at least buy it at least once every two months so whenever you go back to dad and say dad i need to buy this he used to say like you know I'll get mom to make it at home because that's what my father's theory was that you know want to eat something I'll get mom to make it at home. Uh so it always used to be walking for few bus stops so that you can save some money and uh, and you save that money you make sure you have enough money to go and buy it and then you take the whole 
lot of friends that you have about 6 7 10 12 and make sure can i get a brownie and they oh you're going to get a brownie today and it used to be so much fun because it used to it, it then used to come on a sizzling platter and it was the best thing ever because everybody used to say ooh you got a brownie it was very special and used to make you feel very special and i thought you know what these silly things down the line and now when we look back it was 3 dollars it was so much fun it has so much emotional connect to it it was such a nice thing it's it's not the money it's the memories behind it and it's actually a brownie and it was um, in a cafe which was next to a college it was not even an indian dish but it's just so close to me that i always used to say brother when we have uh, anything of our own we will definitely have a brownie and uh, we stuck to that so we really thought of the whole thing and we wanted to do a brownie and that's why we have a brownie on a sizzling platter where we take it to the customer and we really do it exactly how the guys used to do it over there and um we wait for the wow effect and it actually smokes up and there have been times when I, we've had uh, three brownies on a table and our smoke alarms have gone on and it has been hilarious i mean we have a blower kept specially for that just so that if the, that does happen we can just blow that air off quickly i have so much fun even now when we do it and we make sure that we close the doors we make sure we are coordinating and we're doing it together it is fun brownies are fun Oh, I just absolutely love it. This is why we need to be back in restaurants so we can enjoy these beautiful experiences and just create joy for people. Absolutely, absolutely. And I miss seeing smiling faces. I miss hugging people. That is so me. I mean, I so want to hug people when they come to even pick up the takeaways and then I do this whole namaste thing from a far off distance. But that's so not me and I just really want our regular lives back. Yeah. We'll get there sat and you know we we're really going well with vaccinations as you know thousands more every day um and it's just it's really I think important for people to know the stories of of those like yourself who you know are just perhaps a few months behind get into in getting vaccinated because of absolutely no fault of your own it's just we're all you know we our uh, yeah we're just all in our own health situations and um Yeah, people need to look after not only themselves but all the people around them. People around and it's all about loving the community, making sure that not just you and the person next to you is fine too. Absolutely. Um Sat, thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. It's been an absolute pleasure to chat to you. It just makes me even more ache to be back in your restaurant and everybody's restaurants and just be enjoying those beautiful communal experiences. Thank you Danny. Thank you for having me on. Thank you. This was amazing. <laughs> Great to chat. Take care. Take care. Bye. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Valant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen@deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at dirtylinenpodcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This